Welcome back to the NGMI podcast, a show where I talk about crypto investing, blockchain tech, and essentially where I give myself the opportunity to speak with people who know a lot more about this subject material than myself, and hopefully pass on some interesting and practical information for you guys. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcasting app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or some other random platform. This is only episode two, so every subscriber from this point onwards really helps build the channel. And if you could, don't forget to leave an honest review. If you really love the content, that's great. Let me know by dropping me five stars. If you hate it, even better. You can shoot over to my Twitter, which you can find by typing in at the crypto journal in the search bar. And you can berate me in the DMs about what you don't like, what you'd like to see changed. Um, I'm a big fan of legitimate criticism and feedback. It's the only way we improve. But to the topic at hand, on today's episode, I'm speaking with Tommy Honan the head of product strategy at one of Australia's largest crypto exchanges, SwiftX. Expect to learn where the crypto industry is headed in 2024, whether or not it's too early to tell if the recent approval of spot Bitcoin ETFs in the United States can be called a flop, why Ethereum is primed for a run, an upcoming Solana bull catalyst, and Tommy's favorite market narratives for 2024 and more. Let's get stuck in. Hey, and we're live. How you doing, man? Good, Tom. How are you, man? What's going on? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just finished another long day of writing stories about magical internet tokens. Uh, so business as usual. Imagine it, the magic internet money that everyone loves. Or That's it. Starting to love a lot more recently anyway. People are starting to like it a lot more. Um, yeah. What do you see as the main reasons for, for people starting to like it a lot more? Oh, I mean, Matt. You you would probably know know more than anyone on the on the subject, but we've obviously seen you know the ETF get approved last week. Some some pretty decent volumes going through a number of those ETFs, spot ETFs for Bitcoin in the um, in the US markets, which is really pretty interesting. And I think it's yeah, I think the narrative is is pretty strong at the moment after a a pretty shit twenty twenty two for for everyone. We we uh, we battled it out, but we got through. Twenty twenty three was was obviously I think. A lot of people kind of still tell me that 2023 was a bear market. I think it was a year of building, and it was actually a, quite a quite a good spring or a momentum shift for the industry in general. I don't know what what do you, what do you think about that, Tom? Yeah, no, I had a very. I, I keep seeing 2023 be referred to as a bear market, and it's like, well, technically, Bitcoin started leading essentially from like January, like five, so from all throughout 2023, and just kind of posted. You know, significant gains over the course of that year. So, I guess it was like a. It wasn't until the very end of the year that people realized, like, oh shit, it's actually moving. Um, so I feel like there was a lot of frustrated you know, sideliners being like, ah, I so, <laughs> thought yeah. I have more time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, before we jump into things, man, I'd I'd really really like to hear a little bit about you, your background. Um, episode two of NGMI podcast, so what? still still coming fresh. I feel like um, I feel quite privileged. I'm in the single digits, mate. You know, this um, is a coming of age, right? <laughs> I was, I was just um, before we just started recording. I was just mentioned to you that I, um, we, this is the first time we've actually kind of caught up in person, if you want to call it that. And it's, uh, yeah, I seen uh, I was at the Aussie Crypto Convention, you know, um, at the end of last year, and I, 
I spotted this big bastard across the room and I was like, I think that's Tom Mitchell Hill. <laughs> I, was, I was on my way to, um, to moderate some, some panels that, that we had kind of running across the event. But um, Matt, we finally got there and um, yeah, we've, we've we, managed, did. we managed to catch up and, and here, we are, here we are. But um, Matt, I, I do follow you quite a bit across kind of your Twitter and some of your socials as well. Um, you're big into your fitness and, and um, yeah, trying to take some inspiration myself from that. I've, I've, um, Put the decided to put the uh, the the grog for um to bed for for six months of the year to kind of start off the year be fresh and try and you know get into some new things and and um yeah start that's fantastic I'm glad to hear it yeah no look I'm not a big drinker anyway I'm, I'm I am Irish as as people are probably well aware right now but um, <laughs> you, you would I, fit the the cliche <laughs> I have a Guinness sign right now that I'm pointing at but you know apart from that. <laughs> but I'm not a big drinker. <laughs> no, 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 but um, yeah. Look, I mean, it's always good to start off the year, I guess, fresh. You, you know, congratulations to yourself. You're starting your own little gig as well with the with the podcast. Congratulations on on getting that off the ground as well. But um, yeah, mate. Look, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's good. Look, I'm uh, like I said, Irish originally. Been in Australia <clears throat> since 2011. Came here with kind of a bunch of mates, as you do. Just wanted to travel and. Um, they all they all kind of left after about six months and and um, yeah I'm still here what um, 13 or so years later so yeah it's been um, it's been great I've I've kind of loved since day one since arriving in in Melbourne actually I was there for about 10 years I live in Brisbane now with you know where SwiftX um, our company is based um, but yeah initially landed in Melbourne and absolutely loved the uh, loved that place and we um, yeah spent spent a lot of time I lived in lived in kind of the Richmond, Paran, St Kilda, as you do when you're Irish, but um, it was nice. uh, no, that's good. I'm I'm in Camberwell, and yeah, I good. I'm a bit more a bit more out, but I like the little white picket fence, uh, yeah. quiet leafy area. It's a good good change for me. Yeah, 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 Matt. Well, look, it's it's I, I've I've loved Melbourne. I always love getting back there. I have a lot of friends down there, so we definitely have to catch up the next time i'm heading down but um absolutely yeah, i guess a, a bit of quick kind of background into myself um i mm-hmm. definitely see myself as a bit of a old school head in a new school environment uh, <laughs> i'm not a i'm not a dj i know you're you, you like to do you like if you dj plays yourself i'm probably a little bit um on the other side of that but um yeah kind of um growing up in ireland um my mom was a detective my dad was worked in mechanical engineering so i kind of had a a uh, pretty strong work ethic instilled in me pretty young, whether I liked it or not. And yeah, I started working with like my uncle and my cousins when I was nine and ten, to trying to save some money and started investing as soon as I was kind of legally allowed. Um, nice. So I, what was the first? What was the first investment? That's that's one of my favorite questions to ask. I invested in um, Kerrygold, which is which is um, you might see they do like butter. They have butter in Australia, and some. I was about sh- to say like. Like the butter? <laughs> yeah, they're a massive, massive brand in Ireland. And yeah, it was it was around the time I was probably actually lucky because it was around the time that the GFC had just happened in Ireland. So everything had tanked. Nobody had any money. I didn't have any either, but I had I had I, I would kind of saved my money as I was growing up and, and coming through like your your odd jobs and things like that. But I always had a keen interest in kind of investing and yeah, just um you know, they say timing is everything, Tom, right? Like, so the timing was just good. I didn't make a fortune or anything, but I guess it was the first, you know, dip dip a toe in the water of of investing. Mm. And yeah, um, in terms of in terms of crypto itself, my my cousin was um 
he is a lifer at Dell Computers. And it was actually him that told me about Bitcoin back in, I think it was 2011 or so, um, probably before I came out here. And um, But I didn't have any... 2011, any, that's, that's, that's fresh. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't get, I didn't get started in 2011. 2013, I ended up making my first investment. And um, yeah, man, it was like, it was, it was just so hard to get even money in at the time. Like we, you know, I'm talking about, I don't know if you're familiar with like Charlie Shrem and and um, BitInstant, which is like the first one of the first brokers ever. I've created. read about BitInstant, but I've never interacted with it. Yeah, you no, you well, you wouldn't have. They got shut down in 2013. So um, yeah, long story short, I, we were doing some pretty weird things to try and get money into crypto at the time, and um, I actually got wrecked. I ended up buying a like thousand dollar Bitcoin at the very start in 2013, and then it tanked. It did like six thousand percent in two thousand in two thousand thirteen, and then tanked from like I think it was eleven hundred dollars top market back down to like two hundred fifty US. <laughs> so that was my um, initiation into crypto, um, and then yeah, like I I was very lucky. Like um like I said to a few people, like it was like Neo and the Matrix with the bullets flying past. I managed to um I managed to navigate Mount Gox, which obviously you know we all know about Mount Gox and what happened there. And, mm -hmm. uh, and and Cryptopia in New Zealand as well, which was like the you know the shitcoin casino of the time. So yeah, um, feel like I've been through a few things, kind of um, that not everyone would have been been through. And 20, 2013 entry is definitely something that you can be you, you can be pretty proud of. In, yeah. in terms yeah, of it, like you know claiming it, market OG status, I feel like you can. What would this be? You're like a third, like a fourth cycler now so yeah it's a yeah three and a half coming up to four Ooh. so you um yeah look i'd love to say that i learned all the mistakes in the first one and didn't make any in the rest but it's you know it's just one of those things that we um yeah it's constantly evolving the, the market narratives change every every kind of cycle but um look a lot of it the whole the whole fact that the four-year cycle theory is still a thing and it's still something that we're all talking about and we talk about the Bitcoin having and all, you know, the narrative that kind of comes with that. I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pleasing to see there's some, some kind of correlation between cycles, just the narrative generally changes and generally people, you know, we're starting to grow up more, the industry is starting to, to evolve. You know, we obviously touched on the ETF and, and the positivity that, that brings the market. I think an actual, something I was actually more excited about in Australia earlier on in 2023 was the, um, the AFSL regime, the fact that we, you know, as as crypto brokers and, and crypto exchanges, we, you know, we're we're about to be regulated here in Australia, probably, you know, um, still two two years away or so. But that for me was a bigger prize to businesses like SwiftX and you know all the other kind of exchange and, and uh, models and, and brokers out there. So that was mm. that was obviously it's it's more focused on um, on our business and and the businesses themselves, but. That's just such a, it was such a great um, um, vilification, I guess. You know, we've we, we've got this, we know we're working towards regulation now in Australia, which is an absolute, um, for the crypto OGs or for the, the natives, they don't like it all that much. But realistically, if we want this industry to grow and thrive, you know, into the future, we need regulation. It's all about consumer protection. That's obviously something that, that's something that we you know, we hold very, very highly and something, you know, on the SwiftX side, but also just as, a, as an industry, we need to get better after the things of like FTX and Celsius and all these, you know, really yeah. people. And just because it, it runs counter to like the cypherpunk narrative doesn't mean that it's necessarily like a an outright rejection of, 
the entire industry. It's like if you want it to be part of a global mature like asset class or, or belong to a larger mature market, it, it has to succeed some kind of you know, regulatory guidance to other people and be like, okay, listen. Um, speaking to the point of, of SwiftX, um, I am curious as to like what your day-to-day looks like over there. Um, we can we can have a little chat in a sec more about like the the kind of stuff that you're noticing with retail because that's something I'm really I'm really interested in in talking about. But yeah, just wondering what what it is that you you do on your day to day. Yeah. So so look, I'll I'll take it a a quick step back. I um I actually joined SwiftX back in 2000 and um, the end of 2018 when they just launched the exchange. So Alex and Angus, two founders, and I was actually just a customer. I started. Chatting to Alex, who was doing the live chat at the time, Tom, which is um very it's a great story, you know. I actually really like telling this one. But um basically I was I was telling him all about, you know, all about the things that I'd learned and and you know, you should do this, you should do that. This is shit, this needs to be better, what are you doing over here? That kind of a conversation, which was um which is great. And uh Swiftex has always been customer first. Like we we were the first exchange globally with live chat, believe it or not. It was it was okay because it was easy at the time because we didn't have any customers, but um you know, nowadays we're at about seven thousand <laughs> customers, and um, yeah, we've you know we've managed to scale that service out pretty, pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I ended up that that's how I got my foot in the door with SwiftX, right? Like um, almost four and a half years ago, and Alex, you know, and Angus, they took a, a kind of a chance on me, and and with my experience and everything we kind of discussed, um, offered me a job, and I kind of dropped everything in Melbourne about a year later and moved up to Brisbane and, and um, yeah, we, we started, you know, really ramping things up and building out the company to what it is today. So um, yeah, in terms of my first role at the business was, uh, was across business development. So we, we literally had to set up payment processing, like money in, money out, banking, um, liquidity provision, um, custody, all these things that just, you know, had, they hadn't been properly set up at the business yet. So really, really, really early days. We have a, we had an initial kind of the two founders, Alex and Angus, and then a kind of a founding team that was built around them and with different skill sets from, um, like I said, business development, sales, marketing, like just all of customer support, all the things you need to, you know, the building blocks of, of how you get things going. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the opportunity was was there. You know, a lot of a lot of other businesses started around the same time and didn't didn't really do as well, at least as well as we did. But we really focused on that customer first and. The Aussie brand is is really helpful as well, Tom. Like people do trust our brand. It's something that we've put a lot of time and money into between sporting sponsorships and just being out there with the community where, you know, not all of our competitors kind of put a lot of focus there. So um yeah, my 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 role today, I'm I've worked across many areas of Swift. Um my role today is in um in product. So head of product strategy is my kind of official title at the moment. So yeah, my day today is anywhere from workshopping new products that we can do or we could do or that we want to do from from working with teams we have a team of um we have a team of six people across the product team and then um indirectly like 40 engineers that we work with so you know it's it's um it's pretty full on it's a it's a fast moving fast moving beast i, I do think we are australia suffers quite a bit in terms of we are quite like <sighs> We're at a bit of a loss to the international exchanges at times because they can do whatever they want in this market largely, or they have for a long time. And being an Aussie first business, you are kind of slightly handicapped because 
you just can't do the things that they want and from a product perspective at least there is um yeah it's not a not everything is on an even keel i guess and something that we you know we've learned over the last six to 12 months is 90 percent of the value traded in australia goes goes offshore which is really you know it's great in terms of the opportunity itself as in there's a huge opportunity mm. to capture that for us and other businesses but the reality is all of the aussie dollars are going offshore into you know overseas exchanges that want access products that we just can't safely and confidently launch in this market at the time so yeah that's that's a little bit disappointing but we know that you know the right things are happening to get us there in a safe way it's just i guess taking that bit longer okay so 90 percent of the money is heading offshore damn so is that like is in 90 percent of like new inflows or yeah it's generally generally like new money entering right so a lot of the aussie businesses are just being used as ramps to get access to you know the lifeblood of trading is like your usdt or your usdc um assets that that is that's where a lot of the value goes and it's yeah unfortunately for a lot of people they they don't really know what they're doing a lot of the time and and can you know, lose funds so that it's something that we Mm. Uh, we scrutinize quite heavily and, and you know people like some people like it some people don't is is just those the finality of crypto transactions and the immutable nature of in which they're um in which they work just means that you know it's not like the bank that you can go and recall a you know ten thousand dollar tether transaction or you know sending bitcoin off to a an exchange to trade it's um there's some pretty hard cases that we oh yeah but um I've, yeah. I've felt my fair share of of stings on on the finality of crypto yeah. um sent a couple hundred dollars to like an exchange on the wrong chain once sent it on matic instead of erc20 and i was like oh yeah. <laughs> there goes that <laughs> it's just like great it's it's stuck uh, yeah. very small exchange uh but yeah no yeah so just- do you think it's like 90 percent of, of volumes are, are heading out so that they can kind of do you think it's degening? Like, is it heading so that they can go to like leveraged products where it's like, oh, I'm going to go try my hand at, at, yes. at 10xing the next meme coin? And it's like, guys, pretty much, <laughs> strongly pretty much. do not recommend. Yeah, pr- pretty much. It's, it's, you know, it's the products that we, we don't have readily available, I guess, within Australia that's, you know, bound by Australian consumer laws and the same type of, you know, that are put through the same type of scrutiny as businesses like, like, like ours are. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty frightening stat, isn't it, Tom? Like when you think about it, that that you know, there's so much value going. I didn't off expect it to be ninety. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it just I guess yeah. Again, that speaks to the opportunity for me. Like, there's a huge opportunity for us to 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 fix that problem, right? Or um, you know, address that problem, and that's definitely what I guess I'm here to do, and what SwiftX is here to do. We we're definitely trying to get closer to those products and, and do it in the right way in a safe environment that protects users. And, you know, I'm not going to say let's pitch you SwiftX here, but I mean, we, we've definitely known for being one of the um, players that are trying to do things right. And, um, you know, moving, I would say moving um, at a medium pace. We're not moving slowly. We're not moving quickly, but, you know, more at a medium pace to try and get these things to market. But um, there is no lack of demand. I think that's wise. Yeah. No, 100%. And I mean, with with SwiftX, outside of ninety percent of like new inflows going offshore, which is wild, what what are the other main kind of retail things that you're seeing on your end? Like, what do you do? You have any data on like recent trends as to what 
the market's been doing, particularly in the last couple of months, because I live in my own little silo on yeah. Twitter where I observe, like kind of absorb my narratives and I'm like, oh yes, these are this is what's happening in the market. And then you zoom out and you're like, oh, I'm looking at about maybe half a percent of what's going on. Yeah, look, it's it's and I I'd love to tell you that I'm across it. I don't think anyone is fully across everything that happens in crypto. It's impossible. But um yeah, look, from our perspective, volumes have been continuing to grow from from the start of 2023, volumes have just been going up and to the right with a with a kind of a, a couple of lull periods along the way. I think trading volume spiked and in the the fake ETF news that you were busy covering, Tom. <laughs> um, trading volume spiked about two and a half thousand percent in that window of of um, just, just like as an example, like literally, it just looks like skyscrapers on the charts. But um, the sentiment overall. People forget, retail forget very quickly where we came from. So the, like Bitcoin as a, as, you know, the ETF news has been in market now since May, June of last year. We've grown, the assets grown from like 20,000 US up to, you know, the ETF launched at 46, 47, even 48 US. So people forget that very quickly. They're like, oh, the ETF was a failure. It's like, <laughs> it absolutely wasn't a failure. We've seen the biggest inflows, net inflows, into an ETF in history went into the the range of Bitcoin ETFs from Fidelity, BlackRock, um, you know, the, those eleven of them I think in total or something like that. Tom, you probably have um, a better yeah, idea. Ten. ten hashtags. Hashtags tried and they they bungled their right. S one application, so they they didn't get through the door. So, but they threw a, a party. There was in, in New York. Yes, there was eleven filers, and then only ten got through on the actual day for trading. I think hashtags will be in a couple of weeks. Um, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, look. Yeah. Overall, it's 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 massively bullish. The sentiment is is great for the space overall. Where the market's at right now, we're teetering on the edge at the moment. I think that a lot of people are still expecting a, an explosive move to 50k Bitcoin that will you know likely bring everything with it. Um, we are due for a correction. We're due for a correction in, into the Bitcoin halving. I think that's probably the most likely scenario from where we're at right now um i speak obviously speak about bitcoin quite a bit tom because that drives most of the market sentiment not always the case um all kinds have had their own kind of run up we've seen ai at the start of 2023 we've seen meme coins have a run we've seen solana and everything around that ecosystem have it has have its day um i guess one of the main things that i am watching and i i, I know you're probably going to ask me this later on anyway one of the main things for me is like Right, the Bitcoin ETF is now done. People have, you know, bought the rumor and sold the news. What's the next thing, right? Um, mm. and, you know, it spiked on the on the rumor. It spiked, or sorry, it spiked on the fake launch, which gave gave us a little bit of a um, show us your poker cards on what the market was going to do. And yeah, it's it's really been for me. We we do we do get a, a an ETH ETF approved in twenty twenty four. I don't think it's going to be um, easy. It'll take time. I think there'll be some rejections. There'll be pushback. But I do think we get that in 2024, which is, which is um, mm. yeah, obviously people are, I think retail have, maybe retail have started to look at it, but I don't think we have the right, the same type of intensity on it as, as I would have expected given kind of, you know, think about the precedent that's been set. Grayscale, um, won yep. the case against the SEC for the GBTC trust. They got that converted. It's now a spot Bitcoin ETF. They um, the same thing with the with their um, 
ETH, their Ethereum ETF, the GETH ETF that they have. So the same precedent has been set now. You can argue that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not in the same, um, not treat, you know, created equally or not in the same vein. And that, that is true in terms of how they, um, how they work. But I think, I do think that that will, that will get true and it's going to be, um, it's going to be a pretty exciting year if we see, you know, the two top cryptos with the most value locked kind of, um, you know, essentially accepted gradually Wall Street. Yeah. You know, accepted, you know, you can invest in Ethereum in your 401k. If you're in the US, you can get exposure. All these people that could never get exposure before can now get exposure through different vehicles. Um, are me and you going to ever use yeah. them? Probably not. We don't care about them. They're not, we, we know how to do it on our own, but like there's so many people that just don't. And I think that's, that's something that I think retail is sleeping on at the moment and, and they will wake up to it. But, um, you know, maybe we got the inside scoop and we can get ahead of it, Tom. But, um, yeah, look, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, Ethereum is, is, is almost a better, um, Bitcoin Max probably going to start sending me messages to shoot, you know, on, uh, what I know. Don't worry. I, I live to up, provoke but, laser eyes. So this is, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, like the, um, Ethereum is almost a better, it's a naturally occurring, um, interest model as well because you have proof of stake. So you have that, you know, three to five and a half percent kind of return baked in as like um, dividends, if you want to call them that. And obviously not dividends, mm -hmm. it's proof of stake rewards, on-chain rewards, but it has a naturally occurring dividend that kind of comes with it, which is really... It has that appeal, like, like could, yeah. a marketing it to a fund of like, hey, you get your 4% with awesome. this yeah. if you buy it. Yeah. And that's enticing. It's, it's almost, you know, like it's easy for people to even, you know, uh, companies like that to charge maybe higher fees on Ethereum because they, you know, they're also providing the proof of stake service and, you know, all of the bells and whistles that come with that. So that, you know, that's a, that's a product that I think will be in large demand winner, you know, or say mm. winning market, not, not if, in my opinion, um, I could be, you know, I could be beautifully wrong on that, but I do, I still think if we don't get it this year that we do get it, you know, pretty early in 2025. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, that's that's a pretty that's consistent with like a lot of the narratives that I that I've seen um, just through my own kind of circles is that the next attention is going to be placed firmly on Ethereum. Yep. And looking at Ethereum in in 2023, it's like you know it was the most hated coin uh, because <laughs> because it didn't do anything. <laughs> it's because there was no attention. Um, so do you think it's would it be reasonable to assume that ETH cops a very similar kind of, uh, you know, attention grab and residual price move that Bitcoin did as a result of just having that catalyst now um, following? Because, I mean, I was reading something today. Uh, I think it was an analyst speaking to the block uh, from JP Morgan. And he was essentially saying like 50% chance by May. Uh, he said essentially there's going to be pushbacks, and I know that there was SEC commentary somewhere today that was talking about, oh well, you know, we're not sure if the tokens themselves are securities, and so there's that kind of hinting at classifying it as a commodity, similar to Bitcoin. Yeah, um, I think, and I think even if you listen to um, Gary Gensler, who you know, it's quite ironic that it was his vote that ended up, you know, swinging the um, the ETF's approval in the end, whether it was, you know forced hand or not and it, look i think the sec obviously get 
get bashed quite a lot. I, I think they've got a pretty tough job to do as well. <laughs> like it's not easy, but I think it, they don't. It, it, I don't think they. Um, I think there's things they could do differently that would change some of the perception of the brand of the SEC and everything else that they do. But um, you know, they got a a pretty tough job to do. As a government agency, can you think of another organization where every single country in the world knows? the chairman, the leader, and the people that are involved in the committee. Like, it's it's quite bizarre to think about, you know, we're here in Australia talking about, a, you know, about the uh, a government body like them in the US, which is, um, and, and everyone knows the name of Gary Gensler. Like, I, we were joking on LinkedIn about, um, you know, the Netflix documentary. When is the Netflix documentary going to come out that, you know, the fake tweets stuff has added another, Gensler. another chapter yeah. to the, another chapter to the, um, you know, to the, to the, documentary and i don't even think that's a joke i think we see that at some stage but you know mm. let's see maybe I mean, we- it is fascinating that the world is that kind of entranced by american markets that everyone follows that intensely that it's like ah what what regulations are they putting through what what do they say and then and then we'll make our our guidelines and our judgments about what to do with these things i have a i actually have a good stat for you tom which i don't know <laughs> It's the stat that nobody cares about, but um, it's, you know, we, we have had, um, data shares have had an Australian um, ETF kind of, which is Crypt, C-R-Y-P, which is, you know. Has, I remember that. Yeah, it's been in market for, for quite a while. And, and it was actually the high, the best performing ETF in Australia in 2023. Like it obviously got a lot of its traction towards the end of the year, but it ended up with the top being the top ETF with uh, 214 Point five percent rise on on um, on the year, which is pretty pretty decent. You don't get that in an ETF no, usually. <laughs> no, you definitely don't get that usually in ETF. And, and the second the second prize was was another um, was actually another um, Bitcoin ETF that I think did one hundred and fifty percent or or something like that. So um, obviously, again, like I said, the stat that nobody really cares about. But um, you know, we we obviously focus on the American market because that's where that's what moves the needle. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see. That was a stat that I found earlier on this morning, which I thought was quite interesting for the, you know. No, that, that's fascinating. What what kind of things does Crip hold if it can't hold like the actual securities? Is it more like crypto adjacent stocks? Is it just yes. holding Coinbase, Master, Marathon? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so it's like that, you know, that micro um, coins arc, arc invest type of, type of scenario. Uh, yeah. So, man, you would have been well rewarded if you bought MicroStrategy instead of Big. Like, it's actually incredible the level to which yeah. MicroStrategy gained last year. I was doing some like final review numbers on it, and I was like, eight hundred and something percent yeah. in twenty twenty three. I was like, oh, I've been buying the wrong stuff. I should have been on the should have been on the stock market. Jesus. And Sailor and Sailor will just turn around and and create a, a buyback <laughs> scheme where he can get access to that that capital and yep. and um. And buy more Bitcoin. It's a, it's a stuff. He did that recently, actually. He's, he's literally liquidating, I think it's 5,000 master shares every day. And he's saying it's for personal financial obligations and to buy more Bitcoin, which is, you know, kind of what we'd expect. Um, yeah. It does scare me a little bit that, that Michael Zaylam White, if crypto is successful in, you know, the long run, that Michael Saylor will be possibly the richest man on earth. <laughs> Yeah. Like, uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's some of the, yeah, some of the 
predictions are obviously huge. Like even Kathy Wood from Ark Invest talks about the, oh. the bear case being $750,000 US Bitcoin, right? Um, that's the bear case. And the bull case is, is two and a half mil or something like that. But I, I mean, the truth lies somewhere in the middle for me. I, I do, you know, I, I'm not making crystal ball bull calls here, but, you know, like I think the fixed supply, the fact that demand is increasing, people involved in the market's increasing, we're getting regular, like all the things are pointing in the, there's a lot of metrics pointing in the direction of demand increasing at least. And we know about supply and demand when you have a fixed asset, right? So that's yep. people generally, you know, dip the toe in the water with, with Bitcoin or, or kind of eat these days. And and then, you know, we there's always a knock-on effect to the other assets when people are starting to, you know, look elsewhere for big gains and you know all these things we we see that we see those types of behaviors play out every single time that that doesn't change we see that on the swift x side as well i mean we have we list 350 or so assets now so you know you just have people have a range of different strategies you know we kind of create um dollar cost average tools like um auto investing and recurring orders and these things that give people kind of the tools to get get in and um set and forget which is which is always a great strategy, one I've always used. Um, whether whether it was mm. wages going to a term deposit account like that vanilla, or you know investing in um, Tesla stocks or something like that, like it's always it's always a strategy that's going to serve you over time if you have the patience. But you know, mostly most retail people don't have the patience to actually stay the course and and do that. You know, even three to five years, which is um, which is interesting. On the flip side mm. of all that. I do think we do we have to be careful on what products spin out of of like that approval like what are the products that will um leverage the sentiment and you know suck people in that won't be legitimate like we see a lot of stocks and equities that pop up in businesses that are just not good businesses and fail and take a lot of you know take a lot of capital with them so yeah it's like anything else i think it's it's um it's you know i'm cautiously optimistic about where everything is going but Cautious being the operative word there, Tom. Yep. Yeah, no, 100%. Outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum, what do you see as the, the kind of main trends moving into this year? Yeah, look, I've, I've, been, I've always been a big fan of anything infrastructure-based. So I'm looking at GameFi infrastructure. Obviously, we've got, um, we've got our are probably one of the strongest players in the market, you know, incepted in, in Australia with Immutable. We've got, you know, the likes of um, Alluvium as well, which is obviously a direct project gaming, but they're doing a lot of different things across that AAA-rated gaming space. Um, the gaming market, take crypto out of it. The gaming market is, is a, a multi-billion dollar industry of its own right without crypto. I think the crypto utility, the utility that crypto brings and bringing that, you know, mashing the two worlds together can create a almost a new industry in itself or a new, you know, a new financial market in itself. And like gaming is not slowing down. It's only going up and to the right for, for over the last, since I was born. And, you know, since I had my first Sega Mega Drive 16-bit, Tom, I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but um, it's been a... No, I got started on PlayStation 1. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> gray, gray one. The little gray box. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was, yeah, a little, few years before that. But um, look, it's it's an industry that is just going to continue to grow, and I think the value that tokenization and 
monetization across gaming that that um you know blockchain can bring is i think we we don't know what we don't know i think it's going to be huge um again mm. not everyone's going to win there'll be some strong players anything infrastructure as well i guess to go back to that topic um some pretty impressive layer ones popping up over the last you know six six months or so or um seeing like sui and say there are two kind of layer ones that have popped up the L2 scaling solutions across Ethereum, Optimism, Arbitrum. Um, Medic has had a really tough year. It hasn't really done much for the price. I don't know if you've been watching that one. Um, yeah, Medic's, Medic's a tough Medic, token. That's, yeah. That doesn't get much love. There, there, I know that they do have a, like a rebranding event or like a recapitalization event happening in the next, um, at some stage this year, which might turn the tide. But I guess it's probably one of those ones that, we're gonna. We might look back in this podcast and say, "Shit, we should have bought Medic when we were talking about it being so sleepy or so quiet on the podcast back in Jen." Um, it's kind of one of those, you know, one of those scenarios, I think. But um, yeah, look, uh, like I said, anything infrastructure based for me is is always going to be strong plays. There will be new narratives that pop up. Twenty twenty three, we saw the AI kind of narrative jump out. Solana is on the top mm. of everyone's mind at the moment. All the and the whole ecosystem around Solana. So yeah, there there's Solana's a lot of opportunity. There's there's a there's a case to be made for I mean, especially in the next couple of weeks. Um the new kind of it's like an aggregated DEX um called Jupiter is doing I think the perps are trading at like eighty cents OTC at the moment and they're about to drop what probably could be around about like a billion in liquidity on Solana at they said week four of, of January. So I, I I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that there could be kind of, it depends how well Solana performs as well in the next couple of weeks. Like if it if it doesn't move, then, I mean, if it moves at the same time as there's an airdrop, then Jesus, like, Lord yeah, save us. Um, <laughs> yeah, Solana, Solana wins for the time being. And yeah. all the Solana guys can piss off the Ethereum maxis as per usual. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's yeah. interesting, particularly it's up, with yeah, it's done what 400% or 350% this year, right? Solana, something like that. So, yeah, I was at a dinner with a friend who is a Solana maxi. This was in August, and he was like, Yeah, I just sold all of my ETH for Solana. Um, and was really like not like pushing it on us, but was like, Oh, I, I would seriously recommend checking it out. And at that time, I was like, Oh, the FTX estate is gonna sell. and Sure, uh, it's a dead chain whatever and then just sat and watched it just climb it was well over 500 percent. it was like 1950 or something in in june yeah and then yeah 115 yeah. on boxing day and i was like ah oh, man <laughs> rough yeah, a couple of the um i know a couple of the guys at swiftx were have always been kind of long solana and solana bulls and I think that whole narrative around FTX was was one that probably scared me a little bit as well. I'll be honest, but um, yeah, it was. I mean, we've seen a mass, obviously a massive sell off around the the time of FTX collapsing. There was a lot of tokens kind of, you know, went down with it, but not, you know they didn't. But yep. you know, they're, they're all there. They're all still there to be utilized at some point. But um, yeah, that's a another story in itself. FTX and, and everything that happens around that. Hmm. I know we're running kind of close to time um, for you. And so I did just kind of want to finish up with one more. I was going to talk about real world asset tokenization, but then I was like, Jesus, that's, that's, that's a bit boring to finish this up on. So I thought I'd ask, 
from your perspective, like, you know, working like heavily engaged on the more retail side of crypto, building products for people um, that are coming into crypto, what do you see as like the number one thing that retail or just everyday people still misunderstand about digital assets in general? I think, I don't know if it's, if it's a misunderstanding, I think it's, it's, it's probably an education piece. The whole custody of assets, I think, needs to come a long way when, it, when we speak about um, crypto bro- brokers and exchanges, Tom. Like, we, we can't assume that the next 10 million people that come into crypto are going to be holding their own private keys and setting up ledger wallets and setting up all these wallets, right? I think, I think it's probably one of the biggest problems to solve for the industry. It's not the sexiest one, and it's not the one that's going to make your business the most money, but it is the, one of the biggest problems to solve. Um, I think inherently it could be the, 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 a big revenue driver if you solve it in the right way. That, you know, but it, it's just too hard at the moment. Like the whole um, transferring of assets is just, you know, you really need to have your head screwed on to do it right. I mean, you already talked about sending assets on wrong chains and things like that. I mean, and look, I, I've done that as well. And I've been sending assets across chains for, you know, years. But like, and we all, we can all do it and we get a bit complacent from time to time. But it's, it's, um, I think it's one of the biggest problems to solve the whole, that whole custody piece. How we, how we manage, like customers, we just, we can't say to customers that your best option is withdrawing it back to your own wallet. Again, on the flip side of that, I will be doing that. I love doing it. I love custodying my own assets and having my own private keys. But that's like I'm in the I'm in the you know two percent or one percent of people that that actually should do it and can do it right. So um, I see that number, you know, growing but quite quite stagnant in relation in um, in correlation to the amount of people coming into crypto. So I think that's a a huge problem to solve for the market. And I mean that's that can be solved through the product side, through the onboarding side. Like there's heaps of ways I think it can be it can be solved. Um, insurance regulations obviously coming for the exchanges in Australia, which we're we're really bullish on and really keen to um, you know be one of the first players getting getting that kind of sorted. I guess on our side, it's it's going to be a very costly period of time for a lot of businesses. Not everyone is going to, in my opinion, at least, not everyone can afford to be regulated. Cost of compliance, cost of running a business. Um, is just too high for everyone to be able to to do it. And we have so many crypto businesses in Australia that are trying to kind of do the same thing and do the right thing. So huge opportunity and consolidation there. Slightly, um, slight tangent, but um, going back to kind of no, no. the customers themselves, Tom, I mean, like I talked about the amount of value leaving Shore, like all of those products that they, they want access to should be available from a trusted crypto business in Australia, right? So we... We simply just can't. We can't take the risk. We can't really do it right now in the current um, regulatory framework. So I guess we're hoping to work towards what those products look like, um, you know, onshore and, and just keeping more of that ninety percent value value onshore as we look to the future. But um, yeah, I think another another piece is people want access to as many markets as possible. Um, some of the some of the true exchanges in Australia only trade maybe 20, 30 tokens. So, you know, if you're a client to one of those platforms and, and they're great platforms and not, you know, speaking illy of any of those, those guys run great businesses, but, you know, your customer has to go somewhere else then. So, you know, you want to come, you want to complete as much of the customer journey as possible. For us, it's all about variety. We don't make the decisions on 
you should trade this or you should trade that. We don't give financial advice, but we want to give people as many options to make their own decisions and, and you know, couple that with education as they move along, couple that with security across the platform. Um, I know Tom was, Tom, um, our head of PR was speaking to you before. Yeah, the other Tom. The three Toms. <laughs> or about our, um, you know, we have campaigns running previously around um, uplifting um, two-factor authentication and, and uh, multi-factor authentication across the platforms. And we give people $10 worth of Bitcoin to to go and set up their MFA on SwiftX, which is kind of, you know, a bit of a promotion that was running. Um, the SEC, obviously, in the US didn't do the that. The SEC could. Account, so that's relevant. <laughs> Maybe um, you could give them $20 worth of Bitcoin to, to set up 2FA on their Twitter account. Like, guys. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. it's important. Come on, that's a, it's a thing. It could be a thing. It could be a. We might have to make an NFT out of it or something. I don't know. Um, there you go. Just send it to send it to Gary. Yeah, that's right. Get his uh, get his um, get his Ethereum address and just just drop it in there. Gary's MetaMask. I wonder if it exists. I reckon he was he was he was talking about Algorand in 2018. He'd he'd have a MetaMask. There would be one. Yeah, it, it's it's hard with those because. They'd have to, they, you know, technically they have to disclose everything as they move into power, and and uh, you know, are not. I don't think they're allowed to invest in any assets, like be it. Oh, know, I wouldn't even say that he has any tokens on it, but I just imagine there's a little, there's a fox icon yeah. in a browser somewhere, just like, ah, wonder what this is. I need yeah. to learn. It's empty, but it exists, and there's a there's a twenty four <laughs> digit number, and whoever figures it out and airdrops it, that'll be good. Yeah. Well, under the new crypto tax regs, if you were to find it and you were to put 10K under, uh, then he'd have to report it legally. That's so right. there we go. Mission. Just, impossible. Literally impossible. But we, we, might have to wait the, we might have to wait for the, um, the Netflix documentary for that one time. Oh, true. Might, I like that that's the, that's the big prediction of this. Of like, there will be a Gary Gensler Netflix yeah. show. Yeah, just... I, I Not like, if, when. I like that you've already kind of given it a title as well. It's just Gensler, just on the screen, Gensler. Get, I, I can almost already see. In the it. really big, yeah, in like that kind of really yeah. big, like imperial font, like bam. Yeah, yeah. A House of cards kind of vibe where you have the flag rippling in the background. Very dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can't wait. Yeah, no. That'd be great. Gensler, Gensler doc. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I believe that's kind of it for for you on on your end in terms of time. Unless we still got room to run. I got a couple of minutes, but yeah, we can keep keep running if you uh, if you want. Okay, you said, cool. I mean, just for a couple of minutes, had, just to yeah. You said you had a, you might have had a few more questions that you wanted to run through, but um, yeah, happy to. chat. I was interested in kind of like um, of the like three hundred because you you're saying you got three hundred and eighty tokens that you you run on swift x 350 or something like that i think yeah. 350 okay of those you know outside of majors you know what what's retail been and i know i asked before about like the the main trends that retail has been interested in but if there have been anything that kind of really piques your interest in terms of activity from australian markets that's maybe different to stuff that you've seen elsewhere not really i mean the the yeah if i'm honest not really tom the the general market sentiment follows, you know, trends. It yep. it's the same for us. If someone's on a Solana trend, they'll be they'll be trading Solana on SwiftX and they'll be trading tokens within the Solana ecosystem, same with Ethereum or anything else. Um I think <clears throat> for us, if you have if Ethereum is the narrative and you have ten more 
tokens that are tied to the Ethereum narrative, like Ethereum Classic, as an example, um, Rocket Pool, Lido, you know, these kind of assets that are on the fringes, not directly correlated, but, you know, have a connection. That's what I guess, that is a trend that we always see on the exchange. People will always look for that next thing that hasn't gone yet that is that is connected to that narrative. And same, same for for the kind of meme coins when people are trading those. Um, yeah, people looking for the beta play of like, I'll make a, a thousand exactly. X trading yeah. the thing that's on the thing. Yeah. Not the, yeah. I'm not going to trade Ethereum. I'm going to trade um, something else down the, you know, down the line. And and, um, and that's going to be my, yeah, that's going to be my, my winner. So yeah, we, I mean, in my, still, <laughs> yeah, in my own personal well. experience, it's very much been, if I just held the underlying instead of chasing beta, I would be in a much better spot. So that's been, that's my two cents on, on, on how to approach it. It always, it always comes down to time horizons. Like, you know, depends what type of investor you have. Everyone has a different reason for investing. Everyone has a different um, strategy or no strategy at all at times. Like it really, it really comes back to what the underlying purpose of that investment is for people. Sometimes like genuinely some, some people just want to go in and put a hundred bucks on. They want to make a thousand dollars and then they're gone. Right. And that ha- happens quite a bit. Something that we track very closely is, is customer success. So um, <clears throat> how many people are winning versus how many people are losing. What are the trends that? Um, That's fascinating. What What is customer success rate like? Like at the moment, uh, do you have any like figures on the like, last couple of months, or is it just a general? Yeah, I don't have any figures right now. Um, over the last twelve months, I mean, it's it's well over sixty percent, I would say. Um, but again, it's on a longer term time horizon. It's hot, much higher than that. In a bear market, it's much much lower than that. So you know, it, it's it's not. I mean, it's yeah. It's I can't get too scientific on it, but it really does. You know, we you know we're so correlated to the market cycles. Um, I would say that a lot of people get revived. We do we do have this mentality. I think it's across the industry of I will hold till I die kind of thing. You know what I mean? I will hold on for dear life, and and a lot of people whether that's the right strategy, it is for some people and it isn't for others. Whether that's the right strategy or not, um, it's a strategy, I guess. So. A lot of people that were, you know, largely underwater for for 2022, even even a lot of 2023 or half of 23 are now back in profit. Um, some uh, something that I've been watching pretty closely on the product side is, and the customer side is, the amount of existing customers that just hadn't logged in for 12 months that are back is really pleasing, right? Because for a couple of reasons, it's great that there's interest back in the market. Like from a business perspective, we've already spent the money to acquire that customer. So it's 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 like a new customer without spending the customer acquisition costs or you know having to go into that. So for us, it's it's probably the most pleasing one to see and reactivation of customers that have been back been on the platform previously that are kind of coming back to us for one re- reason or another. We know in this industry, loyalty is is you know few it's few and far between when it comes to loyalties across exchanges. Most people have two or three or four. Or I think I've got probably 15 different exchange accounts for different reasons, like between DEXs, yep. swap places to swap, and, um, you know, depending on what you're doing, right? Everyone, I think it's it's pleasing for us to see that, um, yeah, a lot of our customers are kind of coming back, even if they've been dormant for a long time. So, yeah. Mm. Probably kicked off by getting that notification. I remember seeing something that was like Dogecoin up 10%. 
someone said like this is the this is the bad signal like this is the this is what this is what causes it again no that's awesome yeah, we have a we have a famous day in the history books at swift x we call it doge friday um it's where doge <laughs> ripped doge ripped um 870% in a day i don't know if you can remember that back in 2019 i believe and um yeah it was absolute yeah. chaos yep i remember that well we were we were actually only exchanges at the time that that stood up. I think a few of the other providers around us went offline, like there's just too much load on the system. Um, I think we onboarded about nine thousand customers in a day, um, like in that in that Damn. one day, which was absolutely yeah, it was insane at the time. And we all we still talk about it, you know, every now and then over a, over a beer or whatever. Like you know, it's good to look back and look back to look forward, if you know what I mean. But um. Yeah, that's that's yep. something that um that was just an interesting one in the kind of history books that we still talk about. Um yeah, what's gonna that's be That's insane. I remember Doge I remember that one very, very well. I was literally in the car park. Um I bought some Doge off a friends like just telling me about it. This is well before I even remotely knew anything about crypto. I think it's one of the first things I ever touched. And I just treated it like a gamble and was like, Oh, that was incredible. But yeah, I literally bought some went for a surf. And this is like when I was like living in my van, like just kind of trekking around. And I came back to the van and opened, I believe it was, and this is crazy. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was my Swift X app. And I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so no, I was, I could have been a part of your, your Doge Friday. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that our platform was able to stay up and everyone was happy. And a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people made money that day, which was, um, which is good. I hope I hope we have many more similar events um, throughout our history. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Ah, anyway, mate, um, thanks so much for your time. It was really good speaking with you today. You've shared a lot of really interesting stuff. That was great. No, likewise, Matt. And again, I mean, we're on number two podcast for you and you've got a long way to go and a long journey. And yeah, congratulations on the launch. And um, yeah, I hope it goes really well. And yeah, hopefully we can um, do some more collabs across the... Um, Across, across the journey, I'm sure we will. That'll be great. Looking forward to number two episode, but in, in a little while. That'll be great. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. I have no you know, set in stone plan for it. It's just kind of an episode a week uh, yeah. forever, essentially, as, as long as possible. If crypto is still standing in a couple of years, I plan to be here. So, yeah. Good stuff, Tom. Right. Thanks. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe. Uh, this is the second episode, so every sub from this point onward really helps me get this thing off the ground. For those of you curious to find more, just type in Tom underscore Mitchell Hill, spelled T-O-M underscore M-I-T-C-H-E-L-H-I-L-L on Twitter. Um, alternatively, my handle is also at the Crypto Journal. It's a little cringe, but I'm going to stick with it anyway. Uh, that's where you'll find my account that posts links to all future podcast episodes, as well as my weekly NGMI newsletter, which is where I provide detailed breakdowns of crypto markets, try and identify key investment opportunities, and go through all of the complicated stuff that crypto is unfortunately very well known for. The newsletter goes out every Thursday at 11am, so be sure to check it out. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll see you in the next one.